the, you know, the back half of 39 articles that no one gets up to, you know, put in 37 or something, no one will get there. Um, no, 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 it is the starting point, it is the foundation. Um, another historical summary that we're going to get to this weekend, I understand we're going to get to say the Athanasian Creed. I looked at the booklet, how fun is that? Um, a creed that every Anglican congregation traditionally was supposed to say monthly, and you'll think about that more when we've said it, um, states that if you don't firmly and faithfully believe in the triune God, you cannot be saved. So the, the doctrine of the Trinity is essential. Even more, can I say that the, the Trinity is fantastic. Not just essential, it expands the wonder of our God. So as this weekend, if we look at God in himself, what it's going to do is humble us and elevate him. Um, it's going to transform the way that we understand ourselves as, as beings made in his image. Uh, this is not just information for ivory tower theologians. It's essential to your daily life. I hope by the end of the weekend you see why that's the case. Because, let me give you a little taster. If you think in any way that relationships matter, then the Trinity is where it's at. Uh, if related to God matters to you, then you know, be excited because exploring the Trinity is getting to know God on the inside himself. Ultimate reality. And if relating to others matters to you, and I suspect it does because you've given up a weekend and you're here to be with others, um, be excited because God sets the framework for perfect relationships. Spoiler alert on the questions that you were uh, discussing before. Um, uh, after um, one particular Christian, his church through, through, taught through the doctrine of the Trinity, he shared this. He goes, before I looked at the Trinity, I was a little bit embarrassed about God. Without the Trinity, God is incomprehensible. I had bits about God, now I've got the whole. It's beautiful, stunning. Before I had a far off God, now I want to draw near to him. He is more appealing to me. I've got a story to tell about God which is convincing. I've got a story in the Trinity that connects to the world. I want that to be all of our experience this weekend, to go away buzzing about God. A fuller, deeper, more excited relationship in him. So we're going to look over the next couple of days, Saturday and then Sunday, at the particular persons of the Godhead. So we'll look at the God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit specifically. But tonight, what I want us to see is the triunity. Uh, one simple point. The one God is essentially perfect relationship. The one God is essentially perfect relationship. There are two parts as we look at that. First, the one complex God. Um, those two readings form the, the foundational truth of God. There is one God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, we read it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is... Yes, well done. I think, Liam, you led the way. Well done, mate. Um, with that one line, you notice what he's doing there. God is denouncing um, any claim to multiple gods, you know, like Hinduism today. And he denounces the atheism and the agnosticism of many Australians. Um, and by using his personal name, so Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, um, shorthand for Yahweh, he denounces every other God. So from Islam to our, our habit of elevating sport or family or you know, comfort to God-like status, there is just one God and he is complex. So Matthew 28, 19, the risen Jesus says, Make disciples of all nations... Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice that there was a singular for name. 
It's not the names, it's the name. And Jesus does not command them kind of, you know, into the names of you know, uh, multiple gods as though there are three separate entities. No, no. And he doesn't speak of um, a single person with three roles in, in the way that you could say that you know, I am a, a son and a brother and a father, but one person. That's not what's going No, Jesus includes the definite article. We had a little chat about that, Jake. The definite article, the word the. Um, you know, the before each person matters. God is a complex unity with distinction. One God, three persons. Not a New Testament invention. Uh, the Bible's opening line, so to see. Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God, one, created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The one complex God has always been. Um, Genesis 1, 26. You know, read on a little later. Genesis 1, 26. God says, let us Make man in our image, in our likeness. And what bubbles away under the surface in the Old Testament rises in the New Testament. One complex God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And secondly, God is perfect relationship. God's self-disclosure that he is three and one should leave our our heads spinning. That's okay. Um, Our instinct is to try and simplify God. Our instinct is to contain him, to make him smaller than our minds, to, you know, to try and comprehend him in such a way that we, kind of, we become bigger than him. You know, people try it with lots of illustrations. You can play bingo to see if you've heard this one. Um, they all end up in error, uh, somehow, by either emphasising the oneness or the distinction. Um, water. Heard that one for the Trinity? Yep, seen a few hands. Beautiful. Uh, water you know, can be in the form of ice, water or steam, liquid or steam. Um, And so it's been used to illustrate the Trinity. The trouble is, water can't be those three things at the same time. Or or the shamrock, heard that one? Yeah, okay. Um, Problem here, each leaf is not a shamrock, whereas each member of the Godhead is each entirely God. Well-meaning illustrations like these damage our relationship with God. They try and reduce him down. And if we focus too much on the one substance of God... The three persons become um, masks, you know, as though we're prevented from knowing the real God who's underneath. But on the other end, if you focus too much on the individuality of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and separate them, you end up with um, tritheism, you end up with three gods. And not only is that blasphemy, um, you end up having to choose, well, which is my God? And you play them against each other. Now, Augustine put it, if you can understand it, it's not God. Okay? That makes us easier, doesn't it? What a relaxed weekend. Woo. Um, we are never going to fully plumb the depths of God, but we defend the truth that is beyond our comprehension. Uh, so we uphold the shield of the Trinity. You know that the Father is God, the Son is God, the, Father, uh, the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son nor the Spirit. The Son is not the Father nor the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father nor the Son. You get it there. It's pictorial form, I trust. Um, The the way God helps us understand this, the way we make sense of it, is the interconnectedness of their perfect relationship. This is where you really need to switch your heads on. Sorry. Uh, The three persons of the Trinity are so completely committed to the good of each other, so wholehearted in their love for each other, so united in their kind of common purpose and plans that they function as one. That they are so selfless, they are located in the other. 
Their perfect relationship is described by some as mutual indwelling. They live, each lives in each other by their complete selflessness. Um, that's Jesus' language in John 14. It picks it up. John 14, verse 10 and 11. Look it up later. He says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles. So that the Father exists, finds his life in the Son and the Son and the Father and both of them in the Spirit, just as the Spirit exists in both the Father and the Son. And these, by, by their, I'll say it again slightly different way, by their eternal love, they live in, in each other to such an extent, they dwell in each other to such an extent that they are one. It is the process of pure and perfect empathy. God is three persons, relating so perfectly and intimately that they are one. It's not just love in principle, it's love in action that binds them. Uh, the early church fathers used the term, here we go, perichoresis. Anyone got perichoretic union as one of their favourite words? And we're hoping you have it mentioned this weekend. Perichoresis. Um, we, we, choresis, that bit there, that's where we get the word choreography. Okay, that, that helps us. That'll help us hold on to it. Choreography. Okay, perichoresis, literally the dance around or flow around. Um, the imagery... Uh, of the early church fathers using it. So it's not a Bible word per se, but nor is Trinity. Uh, but it's a, it's a way of making sense of it. Um, it's, it's like, think of a complicated dance. Most dancing for me is complicated, so it's not that hard. Um, think of, you know, ballet. Think of the tango. Done well, these dancers are doing these beautifully practiced individual steps. Okay, They're doing their own thing, but coming together, doing it together. It, it, they're so fluid, it becomes one. You know, and so you watch it, and, you know, and their movement blends as well with the, the music's rhythm and cadence. And it's all coming together, isn't it? And so they dance around, and they're coming one, and you kind of go, yes, I know they're distinct, but also, see, there is a beauty and a oneness to the whole music, the whole performance, the whole, you know, the tango, olay, all that, you know. Um, they dance around one without, and become one, but without losing their distinction. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he describes it this way, he calls it the great dance. Um, in, the, in the plan of the great dance... Plans without number interlock. And each movement becomes its reason, the breaking into flower of the whole design to which all else is directed. In other words, they're doing their own part, but it comes together and does something even bigger and more beautiful. Thus, each is equally at the centre, and none are there by being equals, but, by, but, but some by giving place and some by receiving it. They're serving each other. That's the idea. Um, the small things by their smallness and their great by their greatness... And all the patterns linked and looped together by the unions of annealing with a scepter love. Blessed be he. That is this picture of God doing the little things and the big things for each other and so becoming one. Um, the clearest example of this dance is the cross. John 17. Jesus speaks to his father in a public way so we get to overhear. And he declares the time has come for the son to glorify the father by the father glorifying the son. He is speaking about the hour of the cross. And in John 17 verse 4 and 5, John 17 is going to come up a lot this weekend by the way. Um, Jesus explains at the cross that the son glorifies the father by completing the work that he was given to save the world. And at the same time, at the cross, in John 17, the Father glorifies the Son by exalting Him through death 
to go and share the presence and glory of his kingdom. So even as at the cross, um, God is being torn apart, ultimately he's being united. As each person lovingly acts for the, the good and glory of the other. So we see that divine dance at the cross where, where each, each divine person is centering upon the other. None is demanding that the other revolves around them. No, no, each is voluntarily circling the other two, pouring out love and delight and adoration. And, and, and as each person in the Trinity kind of loves and, and adores and defers and rejoices in the other. It creates this uh, dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. One God, one complex God who is perfect relationship. And in comprehending God, we must look for that dance. Anyone remember our fancy word for it? Ah, everyone remembers it. Beautiful. Um, We need to do what Gregory of Nazianzus suggested in the 4th century. I don't think this is a photo. Uh, Just a picture. Um, He says, No sooner do do I conceive of the one than I'm illuminated by the splendor of the three. And no sooner do I distinguish them, I'm carried back to the one. He's looking at the dance. He's seeing how it all comes together and he's seeing each part. He's back and forth, back and forth. And that's what we want to do with God himself. God himself, in himself, is perfect relationship. Um, I've got four implications for us. Hopefully we're ready and not too tired. Been wondering whether we need to stretch our legs. Do we need to stretch our legs? Great. Four implications for us. who are in Genesis 1, we are, we are his image bearers. Okay, first, love and worship God alone. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Love. His oneness calls for your excuse, exclusive love and trust and worship of him. So the Lord, yet he exerts power over everything. No one else does. The Lord is the source of life. All of creation is heading to the destiny he has made and determined. And you need to be clear, uh, and it needs to flow in every part of your life, that it is God alone you worship. God alone you trust. God alone you serve. God alone you adore. For nothing and no one else has a right to that position. He must be the centre. Now, I know for us here, we're unlikely to be kind of tempted away to other religions, to Allah or Vishnu. Um, We're probably not going to be thrown by the J-dubs knocking on the door. But Calvin was right to say our hearts are idol-making factories. The false gods in our heart are seen in those daily choices, not religious practice. Uh, For one woman, it's happiness. Uh, She knew God's call to righteousness. She knew God's call to truth. But she knew admitting an error in her workplace would cost her her job and that would make her sad and so she covered up the truth. And in that moment, her God personal happiness had her heart's love, trust and worship. And for one man, it's control. He knew God's call to patience, but his children's disobedience disrupted you know, his recovery from a busy day's work and the way he lost his temper showed the idol in his heart of personal sovereignty that life should go his way. And our hearts are idol-making factory. There is only one God worthy of devotion. Only in worshipping him will our hearts actually be satisfied and truly be free to do what we're designed for. And so the second, tied to that, second implication, the personal God invites us to share his relationship. 
God is not some abstract philosophical concept. Uh, 1 John 4 verse 8, God is love. That's fundamental to who he is. Before he's a creator, he already exists as love. He is in relationship before he does anything else. He is fundamentally, essentially love, relationship. He is pure, perfect relationship. And that character shapes everything he does. And amazingly, God invites us into that personal relationship that he shares with himself. Um, yeah, Jesus goes on, John 17, verse 21 and following, that, that we Christians can take part in God's perfect relationship. And when Jesus prays then in John 17, before he goes to the cross, he's not praying for himself at that point, he's praying for us, that we would be in God, that we would share in his glory, we, that we might be one as God is one, he says. That's what he prays, I in them and you in me. Think about how remarkable that is. That, that, that the, the, the mutual indwelling, the life in one another, the God in himself has, he says, I'm going to throw it open and you can come in too. Every Christian, you are invited into the centre of God himself to live in his life. And you don't need some complex ritual to live that reality. Just in simple, ordinary words, you can know and engage God in relationship. And so human language, the, the vehicle of our relationships, conveys meaningful truth about God. We, we don't just speak in analogies about God, uh, as though the reality is something different. No, no, no. We speak about God as he really is. We, we can have genuine communication with him. He reveals himself to us in words. We can know him and we can respond personally in words back. Romans 8 verse 9 and following, um, we call God Abba, Father. You know, that affectionate Aramaic word, it's, it's not as childish as daddy, but it's, it's more intimate than father. You know, there's a closeness and a relationship. We who are in Christ communicate intimately with the personal God, real relationship. To put it another way, we are invited into the divine dance. We get to join in there. See, since before the creation of, of the world, God experienced that perfect relationship and out of sheer love and mercy, they invite us to share in that perfect relationship with them. If you remember, if you're old enough, you remember the 90s sitcom Friends, uh, which was, uh, so yeah, I see the old people nod. Um, and some young people, surprisingly. Um, all about the beauty of relationship, really. These six people who just, you know, lived a life and they all lived in each other's units constantly and somehow seemed mostly jobless and yet could afford great apartments in New York. Um, and it was meant to be this, this beautiful, you know, here is the picture of the beauty of relationships, these six people, but it was closed. They never let anyone, you know, other people would come and go, but they never let anyone else in. They were closed, but, you know, their perfect relationship was exclusive. Um, how different is our God who does not wall himself? You know, he, he invites us to join the dance, and the way we join the dance is to be with him, so, so perfectly other person-centred, that you experience complete unity without losing who you are. That's what we're invited into. So third, with that, relationships are ultimate reality. Um, our temptation is to think of ourselves and others solely as individuals. Uh, an old Moore College uh, principal, Broughton Knox, wrote, the subject of theology is not God, but God in his relationships. <clears throat> the essence of God is eternal relationship. And so you and I, as God's image bearers, in Genesis 1, um, as it puts it, relationships there are being essential to being human. You know, as one humanity, male and female, we reflect, though imperfectly, the unity with distinction of the Godhead. And so the essence of a person is not an individual, but an individual in relationship. 
connected to others. Um, at the beginning of the beginning of the film uh, about a boy, uh, anyone seen that one? Yeah, more than I thought. Um, the central character, Will Freeman. I mean, they're setting you up, aren't they? Uh, Will Freeman. Yeah. Um, he says this. This is the opening of the film. In my opinion, all men are islands. And what's more, now's the time to be one. This is an island age. A hundred years ago, you had to depend on other people. No one had TVs or CDs or DVD players or home espresso makers. As a matter of fact, they didn't have anything cool. Whereas now, you see, you can make yourself a little island paradise. With the right supplies and, more importantly, the right attitude, you can be sun-drenched, tropical, a magnet for young Swedish tourists. I like to think that perhaps I'm that kind of island. I like to think I'm pretty cool. I like to think I'm Ibiza. Um, Will Freeman is the essence of individualism. Now, I can do it all. Yeah. Spoiler, he discovers it's not true. Uh, the film ends with him celebrating Christmas with a strange and disparate group of people who create a community beyond biological family. So that the reality of bearing God's image makes relationships ultimate. And we must therefore engage meaningfully with others. So going out for a coffee with a friend is a right and good expression of simply being human. Other drinks are available. <laughs> but not only friends or family. You know, the nature of God, who doesn't keep close the perfect relationship, who isn't like the sitcom friends, but reaches out, calls us to relate beyond those we naturally like. This is most clearly seen in church life. See, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes our unity with distinction with Trinitarian language. So in church, as in God, there is difference of role, but oneness of purpose. It's the same spirit, we're told in 1 Corinthians 12, that we all share. Uh, the spirit unites us as the body of Christ to one another. Uh, and you cannot sever yourself from someone else who is at church without damaging yourself and everyone else. We are interdependent. And we don't choose who we are connected to. God does. And in it all, love, 1 Corinthians 13, the never-failing, humble, forgiving love is key. Um, relationships are ultimate. Uh, fourth and finally, all our relationships should imitate God himself. So to say relationships are the ultimate reality doesn't justify any and every type of relationship. Abusive friendships are not right simply because it's a form of relationship. Okay, our relationships must reflect God's and therefore true personal relationship is other person-centred. Just as the persons of the Trinity are wholly devoted to doing what's best for the other. Um, Jesus says in John 5 verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. But 10 verses later, Jesus says in 5 verse 30, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. They are just consumed with doing what delights the other. And our actions must mirror God's, be other-centred. Um, more than wishing someone else well, we, we act in their interests. It means each of us here... Now and constantly, until you're taken home to glory, we'll need to learn forgiveness and humility and patience. And we'll need to communicate clearly and lovingly the way God does. And there will be no room for stonewalling or huffiness or tantrums. And we'll need to... 
be fair with others and we'll need to treat them rightly. It doesn't mean treating them the same, but recognising the degree of relationship you have with them. Um, you know, a lovely, godly woman at my old church, Enid Stahl, she's now at Glory. Um, she uh, was ex-missionary. When she, uh, as, you know, when she passed to Glory, she left half her estate to CMS and half to our church. We were able to establish a fund for ministry trainees and evangelists from it until it ran out, but we asked people to try and keep topping it up. Um, Enid, as a woman without heirs, was right to leave all in her will, um, all her wealth to church and mission organisations and, and her giving, her blessing kept going even as she went to glory. But it would not be right or fair or righteous for me to die and not make provision, provision for my wife and children at this stage. Um, even as some of my estate might go to such good purposes. Uh, point is, relationships aren't all the same. You treat people, you act differently, appropriately, accordingly. Our relationships in it all must be marked by costly faithfulness. Keeping our word even when it hurts. Uh, they, they've got to respect order and difference amongst us. Men to women, older to younger. Recognise positions of authority just as the Godhead does. And we'll see a bit more of those kind of things as time goes on in the next few days. list could go on. I'm just trying to kind of flesh out a little, get us excited, get us talking about how our relationships play out. Because they are ultimate reality, but they are shaped by the one who is one and yet three. So the monks of... Fountains Abbey took the morning off on Trinity Sunday. Can I suggest we should feel sorry for them? They missed out. They missed a glimpse of the perfect relationship. And for our God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is one and he is worthy of our love, wholehearted devotion. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we give you thanks and praise for the God you are and the remarkable thought that you not only reveal what you're like to us, but you invite us in that we might share in your life. Uh, Father, we pray that this weekend, uh, each one of us would be delighted afresh in the reality of who you are, that we would grow deeper in our love for you, and that our connection to others would grow too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.